0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Let's start with the good news. The number of protests filed with the Government Accountability Office over contracts, it's down for the second year in a row. Now the bad news. That two-year trend might be coming to an end. In his weekly Reporter's Notebook, executive editor Jason Miller explains why new data from GAO could embolden more vendors to protest federal procurements. And Jason, give us the protest numbers and why you think some more might be on the horizon to drive those numbers back up.
0: Tom, I think the fact that contractors having so much success with GAO, it's going to lead to more protests. In fact, if contractors had this type of success in Vegas, they'd be rich, famous, and probably under investigation by the FBI for some sort of insider trading. GAO's recent report to Congress shows that 51% of the time, the protester got some sort of corrective action. Now, a corrective action could mean sustainment. It could mean the agency pulls the award back and says, we will make changes or fix it or reevaluate somehow. But 51% of the time, it's more than half that they got some sort of relief. And if I'm a contractor going, okay, I lost that. I don't think the agency necessarily was a hundred percent, but if I'm a vendor going, okay, I can win at least 50% of the time, that's pretty good odds. I will, I will roll those dice. I will make that bet. And that's why I think you, you likely will see more protests heading into 2021 and beyond because success rate or what GAO calls the effectiveness rate is so high.
1: Yes. In fact, when you mentioned 51%, that's about the players' odds at blackjack, the only one where you have a slight chance to beat the house on a consistent basis. So maybe you should call those aces in. What about the overall numbers? Give us the sense of the macro numbers here over the last couple of years.
0: Over the last few years, what we're seeing from GAO is basically the number of bid protests are down for the second year in a row. They're down from a high of about 2,607 protests in 2018. There was about just under $2,200 2200 to 2150 in 2020. Now, that means that's, that's all the cases that have been filed. Now, how many have been gone to hearings is even down even further. Only nine cases actually went to full-on hearings, 1%. That's down from 21 cases in 2019, and five. it's up from five cases in 2018. But, Tom, it's more than just those numbers. It's also the sustain rate up to 15% after being at 13% in 2019, and then it's the number of the, the this effectiveness rate, as we mentioned earlier, 51% up from 14 44 percent in 2019 and 2018. And in fact, it's never been above 50% in the last five years. And you can continue to go back through GAO's numbers and really see just how the effectiveness rate has changed over the years. These are all pointing to the same thing, that fewer companies are protesting, which is good, but more are successful, which is not so good. And in fact, Tom, what's really interesting about this is the reasons why a protest is successful. And GAO says the top five reasons that a protest is successful goes in this order. Unreasonable technical evaluation, flawed solicitation, which the lawyers I've talked to says that's usually a pre-award protest, unreasonable cost and price evaluation, and unreasonable past performance evaluation. Now, none of these are surprising except for that flawed solicitation, which is the first time in in the last three, four, five years that that has been a top five reason why a, a protest has been sustained.
1: Just to clarify, when it's sustained, that's a subset of corrective actions.
0: Correct. That's a subset of the effectiveness rate. So if you look at the effectiveness rate of 51% and 15% have been sustained, that means 36% of the time you're getting other corrective action. That means the agency takes us... takes action before it goes to a hearing, before it goes to a decision. And, again, I, I, I talked to a bunch of lawyers. Eric Crucius at Holland the Night points out this idea that if you're more or less going to get one of two chance, right, to get some sort of change that's, that's helpful, why not roll the dice? I also talked to Shane McCall from Co-Prince Law. He deals a lot with small businesses. And, and his point is – well, correctiveness, corrective action is nice, except for when the agency really doesn't do anything. They're just kind of putting, I'll use the old Mark Foreman expression, lipstick on the pig, or they're paving the cow path. They're not really making changes. So a lot of the lawyers I talked to said, we'd really like more hearings, we'd like to get to the point where we can actually present a case versus just GAO looking at the administrative record.
1: We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. could be, though, that if the effectiveness rate is up, maybe contractors are being more selective in the first place about the cases they bring. So that could mitigate against this onslaught of huge cases because the people choosing to do it are better at it.
0: I think that's another point of it. And, and again, I talked to Barbara Kanowski from Center Law Consulting. And one thing she pointed out was because of the pandemic, people are at home. So you're working from home. You have more time actually to dig into the cases to understand what's happening. So that may also be a reason why a lot of these cases, they're better cases because people have more time. They're not commuting. They're not If you will, Tom, wasting time at the water cooler talking. Uh, I I think that is another piece. A a third reason why maybe also the cases are down, but the cases are better that are being filed, meaning they're more likely to lead to corrective action. And this comes from Rob Burton, a former OFPP deputy administrator and, and now over at Crowell Mooring. He says, agencies are doing a better job with enhanced debriefings. This is something that was in the 2018 Defense Authorization Bill, really telling DOD to do more enhanced debriefings. I know GSA has picked up that idea as well. They're trying to run pilots where they're doing more detailed understanding of why a vendor won or lost and trying to help the vendor get better. And Rob believes that a lot of times because of these enhanced debriefings, The vendor goes, okay, I really don't really have a case here. I'm not going to waste my money or waste my time on a protest. And I think that is a good sign, but I'll flip it for a second and say, well – if people have more time, they're going to find more problems. And if they have, a, again, a one in two chance of being of getting some corrective action, I, I think that could lead to an increase in protests. It's, it's hard to say. But I, I think you know if you look at the numbers and what the numbers tell you, Tom, if I had one, you know, two, you know, 50 percent odds of winning, it's a it's a pretty good odds.
1: Got to love the federal market, the only one in which you can sue your customer and still keep it <laughs> and have uh, future relations. And Fed- And Jason, let me switch gears for a minute. There's what, 200 hours left or something, or 197 hours left in the Trump administration. And we're starting to see the chief information officers that are political leaving. Tell us the latest you found out there.
0: Correct, Tom. There's about nine chief information officers who are political appointees. Uh, and, and all of them potentially will be leaving on Friday this week, I'm being told. Uh, I know Stuart McGuigan, who is the State Department CIO, he announced he's leaving as of Friday. Uh, I know people like uh, over at Transport. Ryan Cody is a political appointee. Dana Deasy at DOD is a political appointee. Uh, Jim Jaffer over at VA, Karen Evans at DHS, they're all political appointees. The federal CIO, uh, Basil Parker, and the federal CISO, Camilo Sandoval, are all political appointees. And one that kind of surprised me is David Chow, the HUD CIO. He's also a political appointee. And the understanding is all these folks will be out the door on Friday as normal transition happens with uh, the incoming Biden administration set to take, obviously, over on January 20th. There's nothing wrong with it. These people aren't leaving for any bad reason. In fact, most of them, you would argue, did a really nice job. But it's just surprising, I guess, how many political appointees are. The two that surprised me was State and HUD. I didn't realize they were both political. Traditionally, they have not been. While someone like Energy Department, Rocky Champion is not a political appointee, he actually will be staying where energy had traditionally been a political position. And and that's what's interesting about the CIO role. They kind of flip back and forth depending on how quickly you want to get someone in and who that person is. If you have to go through that normal hiring process, it may take longer. And therefore, the secretary may switch that role to a political appointee a non-Senate confirm for most of these, obviously, with some exceptions like the federal CIO and, of course, the DOD.
1: Yeah, that role turns over a lot in industry and in the government. And I was going to say that Dana Deasy at DOD has had a remarkably long run, considering that you never know who the secretary is from week to week.
0: The one thing about each of these roles is, and we've had this argument over the years, Tom, should the CIO be a political appointee or not? Does that give him a bigger seat at the table? It would be... Interesting to see with this about if the Biden administration, when they come in, if they really revert some of these things back to career or if they continue to be political, like HUD, like SSA, like transportation. Or vice versa, do they say maybe ones like, and I'm not picking on anyone, but interior or agriculture or even someone like GSA, would they make those political? I don't think they will, but you you never know. And and especially if they have a candidate in mind that they want to get in and really make change right away, they may look at it and say, let's, 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 let's shuffle some chairs. Well, I think
1: all you have to do is look far back as the Obama administration to probably get a good sense of the operating model we're going to see.
0: I would agree with you on that, Tom, because I think a lot of what we're seeing is the Biden folks are starting to bring in a lot of the Obama, former Obama folks. And I think that they're going to have bring that same perspective of what government can do, what it should do, what the role should be. But I also hope that they learn from it, because I think one of the big mistakes the Obama administration did is they brought in people who didn't understand government, And it took that learning curve is steep and and you can have the smartest person in the world. But if they've never worked in government, don't understand government, don't understand how the government works, you can't come in and just start moving the chairs around and say, I know what I'm doing. You saw that with with other people, uh, both uh, also in the Trump administration, too, who didn't quite understand why OPM and GSA couldn't just merge. Right. (laughs) It just doesn't work
1: that way. You can't get a major services contractor in tomorrow on the idea that you had last night. There you go federal news network's jason miller thanks so much my pleasure tom check out his reporter's notebook it's now online at federalnewsnetwork.com
0: as prices keep creeping up your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit live one plus has all the music you love ad free for only 3 dollars per month dive into live one's massive library of songs listen to curated playlists or create your own check out exclusive artist hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just 3 dollars per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash one to learn more and start your free trial.